0: Let us turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, and I would like to speak to you about this parable, laborers or workers in the vineyard, the title is The Gospel We Keep Confusing. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, the word of God reads, for the kingdom of heaven He's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went, and he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same. About five in the afternoon. He went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foremen, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first." The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only for one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And that reads the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, as Victor prayed, we ask that your Word and your Spirit may make us free to enjoy what we have in Christ, to relish on it, and may we also be happy proclaimers of the generous vineyard owner, we serve. Even as we read in the passage of the Gerasenes, may we tell our friends and those who surround us what great things you have done with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hospitals and churches are similar. They have rooms with TV and air conditioner. They serve food. They have customers. They pretty much do the same. They host people. But they have different purposes. Sadly, we want to make the church a hotel. But the church is not a hotel. It's not a resort for people to feel happy and well and to be entertained and feel cozy and comfortable. No, the church is a hospital. And we are populated by sick Patience, from the one who speaks to you all the way to whomever is here, to the children. This parable is a reminder of how sick we are. We don't even understand many times the gospel we believe, we preach, and of which we have been made partakers. I said how the parable starts, like many parables... The kingdom of heaven is like. When I talk to people who are not familiar with the faith, whom we call unbelievers, I many times have to remind them, this is upside down. The gospel and the kingdom are not exactly as we expect them to be. Things are all the way around and upside down in the kingdom. And here's a parable that reminds us of that. The kingdom of heaven is not frequently as rational and logical as our rationality and logic expected to be. The context of this parable is quite interesting. It follows the encounter of the disciples with the rich young ruler. And I think you have the outline there. Probably you can put that whole outline there, Maria Luisa, and it's fine, because we're just going to be covering those points one by one. This parable is in the context of the disciples having encountered a rich, young ruler. He was rich, he was young, and he was devout. He was a good Pharisee or a good student of the Pharisees who had been prospered materially. He had... Was the blueprint of the prosperity gospel in our day. He had it all. He feared God. He kept commandments. He was up rich. And Jesus says he will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are like, are like, What? But he does it all. He does it all well. No, people like him will not enter because his God is his riches. Peter says, Lord, but we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? I mean, their nets were so bad that they had to be mended all the time. Now, they're everything. And Peter says, we left it. Follow you. And Peter says, oh, no one who has left things for me will be disappointed. You will get what you left. And then some." The context of the parable is that Jesus had just encountered a person who technically should have gone to heaven. And he says, no, he will not. And Peter, poor fisherman, is promised that for having left his little things, he will get it all. Now, the punchline in the parable is pretty interesting, and it is that things are different with God. In Isaiah 55, we are reminded that God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, as high as the heavens are over the earth. So are my thoughts over your thoughts. Please remember that frequently. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. The problem with man-made religion is that we do exactly what the Greeks did with their mythological gods. We project ourselves into the deity and assume that God must be us just expanded to the infinite. Nothing to do with us. Nothing to be compared with, yes, we're made in his image and like us, but that doesn't mean that God is like us. And this parable reminds us the case. A thief, a malefactor, a murderer on a cross at his dying point was assured salvation like none of us has it. Jesus told that guy, today you will be with me in paradise. If you're honest with yourself, you struggle many times with assurance of salvation. Like many believers do. Not the thief on the cross. The persecutor, murderer, assassin, torturer became the greatest apostle, the greatest theologian, the one who wrote the most of the New Testament, and the one who labored more than all of the apostles, and he was called last. Because things with God are different. And we can go on and on with the stories. The last shall be first. That is the punchline of that parable. It is not as we think. Now, it's very interesting that the different hiring times in the parable depict or illustrate how different God's calling to each one of us is. The owner of the vineyard went to the went to the main square to hire laborers. You guys gone on a Saturday to Home Depot to buy stuff for your home repairs. And you have probably seen those workers in the Home Depot parking lot area waiting for some guy to come in a truck. Daily work. That's exactly, that's an old practice. That's exactly how it happened in the old days. Workers would align themselves either in the market square, in the main plaza of the city, or alongside the road, and somebody would go by to hire them for the day. Market square, alongside the road, aligned the workers to be hired for the day. Just as your Home Depot guys do it. So this vineyard owner himself goes to hire people to work in his vineyard. And it's fascinating the different times that he goes to hire them. Some of your v- Bibles, if you're reading a Spanish Bible, Bible, perhaps your Bible says vigil, vigilia. Or other Bibles say the first hour, the second hour. It depends on what translation you have. previously read from the NIV to make it to make the conversion already for us between vigil and time. So if you have your your Bibles that say vigil or the first hour, the NIV translates that. The guy started first calling at 6 o'clock, then 9 o'clock then at noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m. People work from sunrise to sunset. Actually in Spanish we have the expression you work de sol a sol. You work from sun to sun. Back in the day, they worked 12 hours a day. They didn't have the comfortable 8 hours a week time with half an hour or or 15 minutes every 4 hours, whatever. They didn't have any of that stuff. You work from sunrise to sunset. You can see that in the book of Ruth. So he goes out and hires people at different hours. It's fascinating because I think that illustrates something. Some commentators speculate that the best workers were hired first. I mean, those of us who are young, or those of you who were younger, when we would go to the court, what we would do? We'd just show up, hey, can I play? Yeah, you play. And then two guys are selected, and you start picking up the guys you want to play with you. And of course, you would start with the taller, if you're playing basketball, the taller, the fittest guys, you want to pick them first. And then the guys like me were picked for last. Some commentators say, yeah, well, the best workers were picked first, and the less fit were picked last. Maybe... Maybe not. I'm not sure. The text doesn't say it. It's a speculation. Now, I see here an illustration of how God calls people into his kingdom at different times and in different stages. I have friends who regret not having come to the Lord earlier. They say, I wish I would have come to the Lord earlier. I would have not had all of these bad memories of the bad things I did when I was not in the ways of the Lord. And and I respect that. But we have to remember that God always acts in His time. Paul would have probably wanted not to have the regret of having murdered Christians, tortured Christians, and persecuted them. He would have he would have been happy not to have those regrets that he expresses even in the later parts of his life, how he, how he is grieved for having been a persecutor, how he saw himself as chief sinner. But God called him in his time, because in Galatians 1 he says, God set me apart from my mother's womb. Before he was born, God had already set him apart. But when... He chose to reveal his son in me, that I might go and preach him to the Gentiles. That's when he called me. That's the story of any Christian. Peter was called as an older fisherman. John was called as a young guy working with his older brother in his father's business. Simon the Zealot was called as a zealot, a revolutionary. Nathanael was called as a meek, devout conscientious Jew. Matthew was the chief publican. He was already a veteran, a veteran publican handling a table of collection of taxes. God calls us at different times, different stages, and our stories are no different. We in this little church, in this room, come from many cultures, many countries, different ages, different stages. God called us in different ways but we were called by the same vineyard owner when he chose to call us with an irresistible calling, one we could not withhold, one we could not resist, one which drew us to Jesus and to faith and to repentance. The parable also illustrates that our work in the kingdom is done at different pace Different speed, different intensity, different duration, even different strain. Not everybody works the same time, the same speed, with the same effort, or, or for the same span of work. And these workers illustrate that. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the church is a body. And many times we forget that illustration of a body. We have members in our bodies that work 24-7, heart and lungs. They never stop. And they started operating before we were born. And they are the last to shut down. We take our last breaths and the heart beats for the last time and we're gone. Others work a lot, 16 to 18 hours a day, eyes and ears. We are operating all the time. And they shut down only when we sleep. And others work for a few seconds during the day. And without them we could not operate. Because they do essential bodily functions. We are a body. And bodies have many members that do different functions. This parable is a reminder of that. Not all of the prophets had the same impact. You compare Daniel to Haggai. They were not even close in their ministries. You compare Isaiah to Hosea. And they operated at the same time. And during the same span. And even territory. But Hosea and Isaiah didn't have the same ministry. You compare the apostles. Paul. Paul. Versus Matthew. Some of them, we don't even know what they did. We have to appeal to tradition. Or to some church history to see, Oh, well, I heard that Thomas went to India. Well, yes, it seems that's the case. In India, there, is, there are traditions and monuments built for Thomas. But, but we don't even know what they did. The same way in the kingdom. Not everybody has the same work the same impact, the same influence. Some individuals, even in our generation and bygone eras, have had ministries that we still benefit from them. Others, we have no idea who they were. Churches are the same. Some churches are raised in certain generations to have a great impact and influence and, and, and a lasting ministry, Other churches are just small places that nobody even knows about. I was thinking about it even this weekend. This little church decided to host the, uh, what's the name of the conference? True True Woman Conference. And people from other churches came and joined us. And we spent money and fed them and all kinds of things. But they come from churches that are a lot larger and more influential. Yes, but God gave us the privilege of serving them from our little context and congregation? Why not? We don't have to be the super church. We don't have to have a growing ministry. Let's make things bigger. Who says that? God calls different people at different times for different contexts and different scenarios. My friend Pastor Otto Sanchez says, God didn't call every pastor to have a growing ministry. And he is one who started with a small group of people and now have thousands in the congregation. But not everybody has that context. Fourthly, the workers in the vineyard illustrate the grace of the gospel. And this is when when the gospel starts to kick in. Some of those workers were hired at 6 a.m. That's a nice group. They were ready, diligent, prepared, strategic. They needed work, they needed, they knew where to go, and they were at the right place and at the right time to seize the opportunity that they afforded. And they were hired. You know people like that? You cannot beat them to the punch clock in the morning. Do you know them, right? He says, no, 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 I leave, I leave, the office, I leave home early in the morning, I don't want to deal with traffic, so I try to leave the house around 630 30. And you try to be in the office at 7 a.m., there's already two individuals there already. And one day you just have a, had a hard, a difficult night sleeping, and you could leave that day at 6. And arrive in the office at 6.30, and they already have the morning coffee brewed. There's no way to beat them. Or perhaps you're that crazy one who goes out early to the office. I used to be that guy. Even a Japanese once told me, I knew you went home because I noticed that you changed the color of your shirt. Because <laughs> I would leave the last and arrive the first. You can be that person. Well, awesome. Great. Some were called at 9 a.m. I see the wisdom of this group. They too know, knew where to go. They too were strategic. They went to the marketplace. They went alongside the road. They, they went to the place that they could be hired. But they slept a little longer. They had a better work-life balance. Well, you don't need to, Yeah, I can brew the second coffee, it's okay. You guys drink the first one and when I arrive in the office at 9, I'll get you the second coffee. That's fine, those usually are actually sometimes better than the others. <laughs> but then there is a third and fourth group. You start to scratch your head. Noon and 3 p.m. <laughs> kind of questionable. These guys don't appear to have been that diligent. It's okay to sleep a little longer, but not, not until noon, not until 3 p.m., or if, like one of the commentators have written, maybe they were not as skilled or maybe they were not as fit, and they were left for last. They are picking up guys at the court, the basketball court, Eh, they are the the little chubby guy that doesn't seem to be too reliable, but let's bring him in. And that was me normally, the the last guy picked, or among the last picked. It's okay. Come. Go to to my vineyard too. They didn't push too hard, but they were hired. But my favorite group, my favorite. I mean, maybe... I, I'm not like one of them. I actually, I actually, in my heart, despise people like this. I have to admit it. In my self-righteousness, perhaps. In my lack of mercy. I despise this group. But it is my absolute favorite because they know how to live. 5 p.m. At 5 p.m., and remember... Their journey end at six. At five p.m., they were there, expecting to be hired. First of all, extremely optimistic. I mean, think about it. At five p.m., who on earth is going to hire you at five p.m.? Well, let's go. let's go. Let's take a shot. What were you doing before? Because the owner asked them, "Why have you been standing here all day long?" doing nothing. Their answer is epic. No one has hired us. (laughs) Somebody else's fault. I mean, maybe they were playing dominoes or playing cards, who knows what. Nobody hired us. But here we are. Do you need anything? Great. I love it that the vineyard owner didn't scold them, didn't lecture them, didn't belittle them, just said, you two, go to my vineyard. And this is where the gospel starts to show up in the story. With that group that we despise in our hearts, that is the group that Dave Ramsey in his rants would say, that's the uncle that is an expert in the stock market, in world economy, in U.S. economy, but doesn't have two nickels to rub together, but he's an expert. And he tells you what to do with your money, but he doesn't have two pennies. That group starts to show the gospel in the scene. You also go work in my vineyard. And then comes payroll time. This is where the punchline in the parable shows up. Payroll time shows the heart of the gospel. Because the owner tells the Manager, go pay the guys. Six o'clock, journey's over, time to pay. Start with the ones hired at five. So they show up and they get paid one denarius. We laugh, but we complain about it. Oh, these managers in this company making all that money and look at us. The CEO is making all this money and look at us. We do the same. Be careful before you judge too harsh the early morning workers. Okay? Because that's us. The last guys come and get a denarius. That's unbelievable. But you know what it's called? What is that called? Undeserved grace. Remember your tulip? That's undeserved grace. Grace, to be grace, has to be sola. It is not grace and works. It is not grace because God saw I had a good heart and because I had a good heart He called me. No, then if, that, if that's way, then it's not grace. It is something else. But if it's grace, it is completely undeserved. Completely unmerited. There's nothing at my end that I can pull to prove I deserve this denarius. But they were paid a denarius. Do you know where the undeserved grace came or come from? It came from a generous master. And if I may add, this is where many On my tribe. Miss the boat. Because we're so caught up with the tulip. And whomever understands me. Let him or her understand. And if you you do not know what I'm talking about. It's okay. You can ask me later. But don't let the tulip. Make you miss the gardener. And the generous vineyard owner. The gospel is a gift. For undeserving sinners that come from a generous master, because that's what he says. He says, are you envious? Are you mad at me because I'm generous? The heart of the gospel is dispensing generosity and kindness to the ones who do not deserve it. And these 5 p.m. guys, these loafers, did not deserve to receive a denarius. But then you notice the self-righteous bitterness of those who were hired early. And by the way, that's my group. That's my group. Perhaps it's yours too. Check it out. Check it out. Maybe it's your group too. They were hired at 6 a.m. Notice their language. Verse 12. Those who were hired last... Worked only an hour. And they said, you have made them equal to us. Did you read that? Those loafers, excuse the language, those lazy bums, you've made them equal to us. And who are we? Those who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now let me talk to you evangelicals, Reformed Baptists of Cornerstone. Here's one who came to the Lord at 17 years and a half old. Who married a virgin. Who's been preaching for 40 years of his life. Who was almost at the verge of leaving school to study theology. Because all I wanted to be was a pastor at a poor neighborhood around my house. Here's one who has lived a clean, moral, religious life i am that because you become arrogant and self-righteous and think yourself better than those who are called later and somehow some way you feel well we're not the same my theology is better I am not like like these guys here or those guys there that's those modern churches shallow gospel easy believism I am better than that I know my theology they were angry strange that people like me and I have to speak of me but if you're in my bandwagon come jump It's strange that people like me are usually the angry ones about religion. It's weird that they sound on the internet so self-righteous, so bigoted, so know-it-all. They sound very harsh in their conferences. Thousands of people, and they are there, very bold. And I always wonder, I wonder if they preached that way to the guy who was sitting by them on the airplane. Or if they speak that way to their unbelieving neighbors. Because it's very easy to be bold in the echo chamber. Get out there and be bold like that. I have no idea what it is. You live in an office all day long. They were, they had holy indignation. (laughs) At those late comers who received the same reward. I love what Tim Keller says of the older brother who's the same character in the parable of the prodigal son. Tim Keller says about the older brother, the older brother's hindrance to receiving or from receiving his father's gifts where his dutiful obedience. I know that sounds that sounds like <clears throat> what are you saying? Yes, I'm saying that when you're faithfully obedient over the years And you don't receive the rewards in the flesh of those who have not been as obedient. When you check the Facebook of those shallow, easy believer Christians that are so happy and you're suffering so much for the gospel, you become angry. And your dutiful obedience becomes your hindrance to receive the bountiful generosity of a generous Vineyard owner. They missed the generosity of the owner. And missing that generosity made them believe that somehow, some way, they were better than the others. That's the tragedy of evangelicalism. That's the tragedy of orthodox Christians. And I hope I am one. I hope I am not, I have not become a heretic, but that's a tragedy. The generosity of the owner made them believe that they were deserving of something more and better than others. And they complained bitterly. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day. Like the Galatians, we start by faith but somehow some way we're deceived into believing that we will please God by the works of the law and by our obedience. Conclusion What is the gospel we preach? What do people hear when they hear us preaching the gospel? Do we scandalize the religious do moral religious people feel uncomfortable with how we sound you sound too too liberal are are you one of those super grace hyper grace guys are you one of those um was a contrary to legalism forget the name but but are you one of those antinomians are you an antinomian i hope i sound antinomian to those who are pharisaical and legalistic. I hope I'm not an antinomian because the law is our guardian to bring us to Christ. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in the true believer. But I hope I sound to you antinomian because my generous vineyard owner pays a denarius to those who showed up at 5 o'clock Because they were loafers. And that's the gospel. What gospel do we live? Do we make morally prudish people uncomfortable with some of our choices? Not because we choose sin, but as Victor prayed, because we choose the liberty we have in Christ To shine the light of the gospel. Let me read another quote from Tim Keller. I love it. He says, Jesus' teaching constantly attracted the irreligious while offending the religious and Bible-believing people of his day. Those were the Pharisees. However, for the most part, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted by contemporary churches, not even by the most avant-garde ones. We tend to attract conservative, well-buttoned, moralistic people. The libertines and the liberated and also the broken and marginalized avoid the church. That can only mean one thing, says Keller. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our members do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus preached the last shall be first remember matthew 7:22 and 24 many will say to me on that day lord lord we prophesied in your name we preached your name. We cast out demons in your name. We made miracles in your name. But I'll declare to you, I I never knew you. Depart from me. The kingdom of God is for the rejected, for the outcast. Jesus told those who had grown up memorizing and reading the Bible and teaching it to others in his day, prostitutes and tax collectors will go to heaven before you because they heard the preaching from John the Baptist and believed it. But you have not. Where is our hope? In our theology? In our life of morality? In our 40 plus years of professing the faith? Or is our hope built on nothing else but on Jesus' blood and His righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Father, bless Your Word, we pray. And forgive us, those of us who are self-righteous, those of us who have trusted in our works, those of us who have believed we're better, have mercy on us, son of David. May we shine the light of the gospel from a generous master who calls sinners to himself and who pays the ones who came last, just as if they would have come first. Because we all stand on the righteousness and the obedience and the death of our Savior and great God, Jesus Christ. Amen.